this is how we always start. Great. And uh, we gotta we gotta do it. Well, cheers, guys. Uh, cheers, man. Thanks for thanks for being here. No, thanks Sorry for inviting about the, me. Uh, you kidding? The delay. Getting more time for drinking. Oh yeah, <laughs> we always <laughs> succeed in that. Oh good. Welcome back to Pocket Liquor, everyone. Hey, guys. How are you? Brandon's here. I'm here. We're excited to be here. Yeah. We're I think, excited to be here. Yeah. Talk, we're talking about beer, wine, spirits, cocktails, good living, food, all that, those things. That's what we do here? I think that's what we're doing. Mm, excellent. Uh, we have another guest on the show today. Uh, we're very excited to have our very good friend, Cameron Reed. Hi, everybody. God, you just have the best. You have the best voice for radio. Well, it's you like got to turn practicing. it on. You know, <laughs> you can't use this all the time. Otherwise, you wear it out. <laughs> You're right about that. Yeah. Uh, Stay away from the phone, Grandma. <laughs> Cam is the uh, head brewer of uh, Edmonds House Brewing Company. Obviously, we are uh, very you know close with uh, the operation there. Uh, Plyler spends a lot of time there working on stuff, um, but Cam is the head honcho in charge of all the the things. I get all of the stress when it comes to the brewery. So if something breaks, that's me. Yeah. And the beer doesn't taste good. That's definitely my fault. When the uh, you know uh, the personnel uh, are upset, that's on me too. So well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm what? organizing a mutiny. Do you know what that word means? <laughs> yeah, Cody's let me know. <laughs> okay, now yeah. can can mutinies happen on land or is that exclusively like a, a seagoing thing? I mean, are you trying to? We can get him on a boat. Yeah, we can. Do he that. has to be in charge though for it to technically. Well, sure. So I'll be the captain. Yes. Yep. Right. Hey Cam, you want to be captain for a day? How, how did you know I would say Leave yes? Leave out on Fort Sumter. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm on a plank, and Cody has a rapier on my back. Oh boy! Yeah, on guard. Uh, so, Cam, tell us a little bit about your background, like how you got into. I mean, it's kind of a stupid question. Like, how did you get into beer? But like, why? Why are you doing this with your life? You know, that question I'm not prepared for. I can tell you how I got here. I can't tell you why I got here. That's All a little right, bit harder. We'll take that. Um, so almost 14 years ago now, I got into craft beer. I was in college. I saw an episode of Good Eats with Alton Brown. You guys ever watch that show? Love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. It used to be one of my go-to shows. I love the, the science behind it. But he did one where he talked about brewing. And it, like, clicked in my head that you can make beer at your house. And that was sort of a revelation for me. So I bought all these homebrew books. I started homebrewing in the, every backyard that I could you know, homebrewing and in kitchens and in my mom's house and anywhere that could hold a refrigerator, I could hold carboys. And then uh, when I graduated college, I had to get a job. Uh, I was a religious studies and a philosophy major. So that meant I had was qualified for exactly nothing. Um, and so well, I thinking real good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to get paid for that. It turns mm, out. Yeah. yeah. So I was definitely in the food and beverage world. But that also allowed me to sort of pivot around and try to find different breweries. Um, and this was back in the dark days of, of beer in South Carolina before the law changed, before we could, ser- we could sell and buy beer above 6% alcohol by volume. So I applied at places like Palmetto with Dave Merritt, who now works at Coast, and uh, just completely got shut out. There was no one else. There was nowhere to work. There was, not, there was you know, too many brewers for our tiny, um, tiny beer culture at the time. But fortunately, I got a job at South End Brewing Company, the now 
extinct South and Brune company that was down on uh, East Bay Street. And they had a, a, a small tin barrel operation happening there, and I buddied up to the brewer immediately. And I started, you know, saying, hey, man, I'll lift kegs, I'll grain out for you, whatever the worst job in the brewery is, I will do it. And he was on board for that. And then I started. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, was, that sounds fantastic. That's yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and slowly I started trying to help him improve the beers there because there was definitely some questionable beer that was being made at, at the place. Um, anyway, fa- uh, you know, flash forward and I started working at the beer exchange uh, in Greenville, uh, same company that Brandon started with. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. we opened up our brew pub, Edmund Zost, a couple years later, became the brewer there, and now I'm here. So there you are. Yeah, that's 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 the that's last the short ten years it. for Cam. That's yeah, that, years oh, sadness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think no, it's sad. It's, it's been great. It's I mean, uh, you know, uh, everything that you put out for the most part is fucking oh, delicious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jace's hammer is that what we're referencing well, listen, right now? That's that's the best thing you'll ever do. So uh, yeah, you you've, you've peaked with that one. I'm sorry to say, but. Jason's Cam, Cam Brood, uh, yeah, a, a very beautiful. terrifying ten percent alcohol, uh, yet golden and light and refreshing uh, Belgian ale. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, so Wait, should good. we talk about the story for that beer? Yeah, you have so, a hammer. Go, so, go on. <laughs> well, we had this hammer. All right, so <laughs> our chef Andy had this hammer. It was a rubber mallet that he would use to like help break down pigs, and it said Andy. Terrifying. Yeah, it, well, yeah. You need it for like for the cleaver. You pound the cleaver like down the spine to split it and mm. all that. These are um, these, by the way, are like the carcasses of pigs that have already been, you know, like slaughtered some somewhere. Oh else. yeah, we're not like he wasn't like breaking down. Yeah, I don't know. Live breaking down no, pigs. Jesus. No, no, like we get pigs like already dead pigs in from a from a pig dude. A pig dude. A guy with a pig farm. Yep. Uh, yeah, watch out for them. So uh, weird that I brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to clarify, you know. Uh, anyway, so he had this rubber mallet. And I went and got one that was a little bit bigger than his, just <laughs> kind of for fun, but mostly because uh, I, w- I was going to use it for, like, breaking down big ice blocks and stuff like that was the idea, but that never really panned out. And it said Jace's Hammer on the handle. And it and wound up in the brewery. It wound up in the brewery, and it's still it. there on the, is it the, is it, it's still there on the mash tone, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. on the kettle, yeah. yeah. On the kettle. Uh, we use it to pound rice holes because they're packed tighter than a, yeah. Took us his rear. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's, it's like, what? <laughs> rice, uh, rice holes, by the way, folks, are uh, kind of a grain byproduct thing. It's like the chaff, the, the chaff around uh, a rice grain that gets added to the mash tun just to give it some structure so it doesn't, you know, kind of collapse and get all sticky like oatmeal. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So anyway, uh, long they story made this, short. Yeah, they made yeah. this beer. Long story long. Yeah called jace's hammer and they actually made it we made it a couple years ago mm-hmm. by we i mean you and you helped you dumped in some hops i think nope that, i did that this last time ah, I see. last time i did not help at all oh thanks uh and it's but my favorite style of beer like gun to my head is like belgian strong golden ale so like duval or you know you insert you know belgian brewery here triple uh so they made a sort of a close not a copy of but like fairly close approximation to something like Duval or something like that. We, did, we took our best shot at it. Yeah. yeah it's absolutely. it's so good. And uh, I, 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 I have drank too much of it, and I'll continue to drink too much of it. So anyway, um, we have some listener questions that we I think we should go ahead and get into while we have Cam here. So we have a question from Blake, uh, it, and he asks, what are your thoughts on using Herb Saint to make a Sazerac versus Absinthe? 
I know Herb Saint was used as a substitute due to absinthe's ban, but how does the flavor compare, fail, or improve the drink? Well, that has to be blasphemy, right? Because if you're not using absinthe, then it's just not the real thing. Well, I mean, like the majority of the Sazeracs I've had in New Orleans uh, over the you know decade or two or decade or so that I've been like trying to visit there as much as often as, as much as I can. I mean, herb saint is often reached for. Like, it's it's still very commonly used. If you're setting up like my ideal Sazerac, you would use some, you know, nice, you know, absinthe from you know Switzerland to Austria or something like that. Well, but let me ask. Go ahead. What is the difference between absinthe and herb saint? I have no idea. Um, there's, I mean, there's a few. Like, they're both like anise, like flavored, like spirits, uh, like licorice. Yeah, like yeah, licorice flavored. I mean, just like. If you've ever had Pernod, that's that's a mm-hmm. good substitute. Um, Pernod actually makes absinthe as well. So what happened is, if we back up, absinthe was uh, banned by most first world countries for a for a time, and the only way you could get it is sort of the same way you'd get moonshine in the states during prohibition. Well, that's because it'd make you trip, hallucinate like LSD, right? That's what absinthe does. I, so, I, don't, I don't think that's true. Is that not true? Well, I don't think it's true. Yeah. Here's here's what happened. Back in the time around when this, in France and, uh, you know, uh, maybe like the Netherlands and uh, these cafes and stuff like that all over Europe, people were drinking a lot of absinthe. And people would start drinking absinthe at like noon. Sounds uh, right. Usually mixed yeah, with like cold water out. or something like that um, as like a pastis. Uh, but people were also doing a lot of heroin. <laughs> Back I'm sorry, then, I don't mean to laugh. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, heroin and, and you know various sundry other other opium. It was like opium. Drugs. It was the golden yeah. age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Opium. What a time o- to be alive. Opium <laughs> dens. You know, yeah. hanging out all day. Nineteen twenties Paris. Sure. Uh, hmm. Smoking good. opium. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Good times. You, you start. You you drink coffee all day, which is like you know the coffee houses are fairly new. Uh, you know, in the late eighteen hundreds, they start. You know, they start popping up in, you know, Austria and across Europe, but. Uh, Basically, absinthe kind of got thrown out with, the, as like as they say, it's sort of the baby in the bathwater. So thing. they banned heroin, and therefore they banned absinthe. They kind of got banned at the same time. Interesting. Because people who were already whacked out of their mind drinking absinthe all day would top that off with heroin and be falling over in the streets and all that. Now the hallucination part, there's there's some truth and a lot, but not a whole lot to it. One of the main ingredients in absinthe is a uh, a root from a pl- uh, the wormwood plant. Hmm. So, um, this plant in the root it contains a chemical compound called thujone. Sounds good. Which is a hallucinogenic. However, back before the ban and then the rebirth, if you will, of legal absinthe, the level of thujone was not really regulated. Um, so, if you drink enough absinthe. You could potentially potentially hallucinate, hmm. but I think the amount that you would have to drink is like astounding. You die of alcohol that, poisoning first. I've read, I've read yeah. the same thing. That yes. like the amount well, and, you would have to consume is just insane. And today, the in the U.S. at least, and, and I think you know across Europe, for legally produced and distributed absinthe, the level, the parts per million level of thujone is like very like closely regulated. So you would have to drink 
like you would die of alcohol poisoning before you ever got to the point of hallucination if you were trying to do that. So let me get this straight. So what you're saying to me right now is I need to go get a wormwood <laughs> plant and chew on the roots and just trip balls. Is I that mean, what have we're doing? fun with that. Have you ever, I, ever tasted wormwood? I, I, no. I think it's so like painfully bitter. Is it? You'd throw that, up. That I don't think you could get there. I mean, I guess it's like smoking banana peels. I mean, huh. has anyone ever really done that? Uh, I've eaten nutmeg. What about that? That's heard, hallucinogenic. I've heard the nutmeg or psychotropic, thing. I should say. Heard yeah. the nutmeg thing before, for sure. I read this thing on this guy online put this like, and he, it could have been a fabrication, but it was a compelling story about this guy who figured out how to order poppy plants. Oh yeah, from like eBay or something, some flower company, and they were supposed to be decorative, but he figured out how to make this tea. That was like he's basically drinking opium. Yeah, there's a lot of legal there's, psychotropic like, there's, plants out there. Listen, yeah. <laughs> if you're determined, there's a way to, to well, do anything. But yeah, I mean, me sure, you could you could maybe like make a concentrated like uh, infusion or sort of distillate of wormwood. I I guess potentially, but well, so I don't Brandon, know. you say it's really bitter. Why would you add it to absinthe? Why is it in there? If you're not going to trip off of it, why is wormwood in absinthe to begin with? Uh, I think it's just a flavoring agent, like uh, whatever cocktail of herbs or spices would have gone into it. I mean, I as I understand it, um, a lot of these kind of liqueurs are based on old medieval kind of medical things where they would have used alcohol as a base. Uh, and that would have served to um, uh, infuse, macerate, extract things uh just from herbs, spices, kind of like chartreuse is mm-hmm. like that, you know, and it's somewhat in the same family. Like so they're taking a bunch of just raw alcohol and then they're soaking a whole bunch of herbs into it is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard that happen. Um, I've heard some producers use kind of um, what I believe like I think it's Bombay uses for their gin where they have like an, uh, an aromatizer where they will have a basket um, in the still full mm. of botanicals and the, and the distillate like the vapors will pass through that and carry it through the condenser mm-hmm. and come out as a liquid. I've heard a couple of different uh, a couple of different things about it. In fact, there was um uh god, it was a Netflix it's not on Netflix anymore, but there was a uh, documentary on absinthe that somebody turned me on to years ago that I watched and uh, it was really fascinating. This guy from I believe the University of Chapel Hill moved to France mm-hmm. and uh, got a ton of like pre-prohibition absinthe bottles. Is that the Jade absinthe guy? I believe so. Yeah. And he, you know, ran um, different, you know, uh, tests on the Thujone content and what was actually in absinthe that, you know, theoretically was making people hallucinate and, you know, murder their families. Kind of like this reefer. <laughs> kind of, well, it was it was kind of huh. like this. It, it was it was kind of like this reefer madness before reefer madness. Um, and the way, and I think they brought it up in a documentary. And I know I've read this in a couple of sources. Um, they basically blame like. The, the French wine industry coming back from phylloxera mm-hmm. uh, in the late 19th century, they blamed the French wine industry for really kind of going after absinthe as a daily drinking thing because they uh, wanted people yeah. to get back to drinking wine. Kind of like phylloxera gin. being the plague, essentially, that wiped out all the grapes in Europe. Just to, Correct. Yeah, yeah it's uh, a, small, a, small, uh, a small plant-eating aphid uh, that was imported to Europe from America. That's yes. right, y'all. These colors it. don't run. We we destroy other people's wow. cultures. <laughs> we have, yeah, dis- well, destroy and or just uh, uh, you know assimilate. All right. So to back up, can I use? Do I have to use absinthe in my? That's yeah. Thanks. For, yeah. Bring Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> thanks for bringing that. I mean, Absolutely <laughs> perfect. Cam's Cam's gonna be our new producer. He's yeah, he's our new producer. Give me a couple more drinks, and I'm not gonna be coherent. So you know, I gotta get it in now. 
Yeah. Uh, so yes, you can totally use uh, Herb Saint as a absinthe substitute and make a totally fine uh, Sazerac. However, if you are, you know, if if I'm putting together my All Star Sazerac, I would want to use like a legit, you know, like Perno, uh, like the actual absinthe that Perno makes or absinthe ordinaire or something like that for my and, and just to recap the difference being that stuff like like the regular Pernod, the non-absinthe Pernod, and herb saint they don't have through the thujone in it but they are all anise flavored liquors yeah there's like for absinthe has other things obviously besides just wormwood so there's uh fennel um aniseed or anisette uh, i've heard of star anise being used black licorice flavor that's what mm-hmm. we all know of it kind of in, in the actually States like as. saying anise or anisette. Anisette. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that there's other things that you can use that, that will give it that flavor profile. The wormwood just sort of balances those out and is a little bit bitter. But it does have, a, like, if you can get through the intense bitterness, like, it does have, like, sort of a licorice sort of thing going if on. If you can get through the awful flavor of it, it's really delicious. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. It grows on you. Yeah. Wormwood, oh, yeah. is, it's, uh, it's, it's a bittering agent. So mm-hmm. most bottles, of, or a lot of bitters that you use, like aromatic bitters, are bittered up if you will with wormwood interesting yeah and you can buy a little you can buy the root like dried and cut up for you online it's why does it get all milky white when i add water um it, that's uh that's a chemical i i, I I'm, it's in the back of my brain i can't figure i can't remember they're, what the, uh, the, the, the luching process what, they're, what exactly they're, it is. They're, they're oils right it's like a lot of the essential oils that they extract from botanicals something like that and something once along those lines. once water hits it it like kind of becomes white kind of like um Gosh, what is it? Uh, like a protein kind of chill haze that you mm. get out of like unchill filtered whiskey? Sure, yeah. Is it the same thing or is it different? Are those so different things? The Backwoods Wikipedia thing that I've read says that, yeah, the water somehow brings the oils out of solution because water and oil don't mix. So you add more water to it, oil can mix into alcohol. You add water, oil comes out. That makes a lot of sense. You know, but again, yeah. this is, I'm citing Wikipedia as my source. No, that makes a lot of sense. I yeah. like that. Yeah, sounds good, right? Uh, dude, sounds great. Sounds kidding. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, so I've, I'm read. I've got a book here. Uh, this is uh, the Drunken Botanist by Amy Stewart, which is a fantastic book if you're into this kind of shit. Uh, the use of wormwood. It says uh, it it dates back to uh, Egyptian times. Like it, we've been using this for a whole for just centuries and centuries, um, and they would use it to hide poor flavors. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, it. it, it Tastes kind of like uh, tastes like licorice. It's well, now that I think about it, what was that wormwood pale ale? Remember that there was like I think was it Foothills. Someone did a wormwood pale ale. It was the most bitter damn thing I've had in my whole life. I Have you had Malort? Ah, yeah, that's got that's loaded. <laughs> up. That's loaded up with wormwood for when sure. When is that going to get banned? <laughs> well, it's 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 sort of made a resurgence since uh, CH Distilling in Chicago is like producing it. Nice. Uh, it was done somewhere else, I think, like not even in Illinois, maybe. I can't remember who was making it, but now it's being made in Chicago by a Chicago local Chicago distillery. Well, if my Wikipedia source is correct, Malort is the tears of the Chicagoans uh, distilled. <laughs> is that right? It's just pure <laughs> sadness coming from Illinois. Well, Cubs those fans. Yeah, Cubs. It's, oh, it's, it's the yeah. sadness. It's hard to get those because yeah, those, those tears, fans. The, they, those tears freeze before they hit the ground. It's hard to <laughs> hard to harvest those. <laughs> Uh, you have to milk the uh, or, tear ducts. Or easier to harvest those? <laughs> well, yeah. You got, you got, I don't know. I wonder if we should move on to another question. <laughs> <laughs> you think we've beaten this to death? Beaten this to death. All right. Well, hey, uh, Blake, thanks a lot for the great question. Feel free to use whatever you want in your Sazerac, just whatever tastes good to you. Um, 
Next question is really good. I haven't run either this by either of you, but our friend Justin wants to know if y'all were to create your own liquor, liqueur, beer, or wine, what would it be, and what would it contain to set it apart? Oh yeah, damn. Like, I've yeah, got, I've got some. All right, you already get to make any kind of beer you want. But I can't make liquor, man. That's just exactly. That, that's why I'm saying you, yeah. you have to you have to pick something besides beer. Of course, yeah, beer, li- beer. Psh. <laughs> Who wants to make a beer? That's crazy. That's yesterday, bud. Yeah, that's yeah, old. So it's old, old, hat. old hat, old hat. Yep. So actually, a guy, a friend of mine, um, kind of does this, and I would like to experiment it with it more. And Brandon, I think you'd be into this too. Um, so imagine if you imagine a world <laughs> where in a world in a world where you make mead, which mead is fermented honey, like mm-hmm. honey wine, and then you distill the mead. Right now, hold on. Then you make more mead. I'm serious. And Are then, you talking about fortified mead, Cam? And then you arrest the fermentation of the second mead with the first mead. Oh, shit. And you make something like mort. <laughs> mort? <laughs> Why is it called mort? Because it's like port, but it's with mead. Oh, my God. You can't call it mort. <laughs> I know. It's a bad name. It, that, it's a, that's what he calls it. But hey, honey, yeah. mort. You Doesn't want a glass of death? mort? It's probably... You want a, yeah, it's not a great name. Listen, the yeah. marketing behind it should be a little bit more, you know, substantial. A little bit not mort. Yeah, or even if you don't arrest it and you wanted to blend back some sweetness in it, you could blend back some high-end honey. Cause peed you lose a lot is of better. Stuff. Peed? <laughs> no, peed is worse. Come on. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Put that to a vote. If you, whatever email address you guys write your questions in, if you want to vote, if you want to vote versus mort versus Pocket peed. Pocketlicker at gmail.com. Let yes. us know what's your, on your thoughts between mort and peed. Yeah, Something that, you would drink. It, <laughs> So is I mean I mean honestly is is that kind of like like wild turkey honey or something like that where you know they they it's Baron like a, it's like mm-hmm. a bourbon barrel based honey liqueur well okay so the wild turkey but that's grain based correct d- distillate right right it, as far as Baron Jaeger goes I don't know what the distillate is there and don't they add more herbs and weird European I, I, yeah, stuff yeah I think you're right yeah. about like that. caraway or something it's I got man I bet it's got to be like some sort of like cheap white wine that they're mm-hmm. distilling as like like just the base that that brandy. goes into yeah. yeah some brandy something like that yeah so yeah mort or peed that would be my a number one choice I think peed. excellent yeah. I, that's that's killer. I, I I mean, it's a good answer. Name aside, I would. It's a good totally, answer. Yeah, I, like I, it. I would totally fuck with that. I would. I would. Mm-hmm. I would try some of that. Number two answer is just straight scotch. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, you, what's the cocktail you, uh, special tonight, Cam? It's Johnny Black and ice, <laughs> or not? Whatever. <laughs> or not? Whatever. I mean, <laughs> it's just a lot of it at yeah. once. <laughs> yeah. uh, so would you if you, so say you say you were gonna make a scotch would you want to start from the ground up and like do your old malting or would you Ooh. or if you had like if you had the wherewithal or the means to just blend make your own like single blend from all the fantastic single malts that are out there? Well, so this is in the imaginary. Did I say world. single blend. I meant just blend. Yeah, yeah. Like, but so this is where I have like fuck you money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm immortal because I have all the money. Because that. It, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, immoral or immortal? Both. Oh. Hand in hand. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, to do scotch to do scotch right, you need time, mm-hmm. right? And I don't want to wait 25 years to have, like, some baller-ass whiskey. Fair so enough. to be able to peel off barrels from the big houses and make something from that would be probably the most, like, expedited, most rewarding. Yeah, kind of like Compass Box, something like yes, that. Yes, I uh, love Compass Box. Yeah, that's kind of a dream job. I can imagine that's an amazing thing to do. What's that guy's name? John Fraser? John Glazier? Yeah. Uh, Glazier. Yeah. Glazier. Yeah. yeah, Glazier. That's not that. Yeah. Well, hopefully, not necessarily with him, but hopefully we're going to have uh, one of the very few people that represent uh, Compass Box on the show. Really? Yeah. 
I just met with him. Can they bring samples, and can I be back as a special, special guest? <laughs> I only have three mics. I don't have to talk. That's fine. <laughs> That's totally cool. We yeah, can we'll, we'll we can make some room for you. Oh, thank yeah, you. Thank course. you very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. You kidding? Yeah. Cam, Cam, you're snoring. What's that Quiet. slurping sound in the background? <laughs> you're moaning softly now, Cam. Please. Uh, all right, old time. Your turn. Uh, if you could make any sort of spirit, liqueur, beer, wine, what would you do? Damn. Um... I tell you what, man, um, I, I'm big into fortified wines, as, as you both know. Um, I'm big into Madeira and Sherry. And the idea of taking anything and just like kind of um, applying heat and oxygen to it, uh, preferably like aging it kind of, you know, like outside maybe uh, in a wooden barrel or like a glass demijohn. Kind of the um, there's some wines in France that are made like that. The, they call them Rancio. Um, we actually carry a Danish cherry wine that is a Rancio, and it's aged mm-hmm. outside for about a year in the elements in a glass demijohn, and then it, they transfer it to a cognac cask. Um, that's what I'm into. I mean, I would love to take like uh, maybe like an old ale or like a wee heavy Scotch ale, something big and malty, um, maybe something not not an imperial stout, not something that would have a, not something that would have a lot of like antioxidant um, quality to it. Just age it outside and see what you would get from that and maybe maybe sell that on its own maybe use that as like a blending component for some other beers to kind of add that age you know i mean if you read old beer text you know they would take aged beer for this old mellow flavor that was kind of prized if uh, especially if you read back into porter brewing um uh, in the 18th century when they talk about uh just kind of recreating this two or three threads blend even though that might be kind of a BS story. That's 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 what I would get into. That's what I think is fascinating. Well, so that leads to a whole host of questions. So first off, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about with oxidation in beer? Like, what does that even mean? And how does that change the flavor? Two, follow-up question. Imagine <laughs> you took some mort, and then you... <laughs> <laughs> so the... So let, let, let's... I can tackle the first one. So, yeah. so, so, oxida- so oxidation in beer... Uh, for most beer styles, is poison. It's terrible. You absolutely don't want it. Brewers do. Tastes like paper, right? Yeah, it tastes like ox, like cardboard, paper. Brewers do everything they can in their power um, to avoid oxygen, dissolved oxygen, and in the package, it makes um, it makes beer, canned, bottle, keg, whatever, makes it age much quicker and taste stale. Uh, and kind of gross. Well, then why would you want to do that to a beer? So on the other end of it, there are a handful <laughs> of beer styles that can handle that oxidation. So some old ales, some barley wines, some imperial stouts. Um, and from what I've found, especially with some old, particularly like really old, like British barley wines, there's a point in their life where the oxidation is kind of a flaw and annoying. But once you let that go, and I'm talking about bottles, like bottles of barley wine that I've had that have been like, 10, 15, 20 years old, once you let that go for a period of time, all of these crazy like toffee, leather, um, you think of old libraries, old books, not necessarily mahogany. Mahogany. For, for the folks at home, libraries right. are places that used to go to uh, to do research and read things before the internet. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where books, if you guys know what, uh, what the hell one of those looks the, like. The last famous one uh, burned down uh, in prehistoric times uh, in mm. Alexandria. Yeah, Alexandria. I heard yep. about Not that. Not prehistoric yeah. times, ancient times. I read about that on the internet, actually. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The internet's great for getting information. Yep. So, so that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the idea behind oxidation. Again, folks, oxidation for most things is, like, not good. Uh, it's, I think Jace mentioned on a previous podcast how crazy it is that we as human beings – 
require uh, oxygen to live. But it kills us, right? But We're o- just oxidizing. Well, right yeah, now. I mean, well, oxygen kills most things, right? Yeah. Is that right, James? I've tried going without it. <laughs> it turns out that's bad, too. <laughs> um, other things really quick. Um, like when we were just kind of getting warmed up, Cam and I were talking about uh, Imperial Pilsner. And um, I don't know if, if you guys are old enough to remember this, but Samuel Adams actually made a beer years and years ago. I think this Wait, was, this was like 10 years ago. What what age group is y'all's audience right now? Um, 12-year-olds. 12-year-olds. Well, you know, listen, dude, yeah. they, they, they get to things on the internet. <laughs> They get to things, dude, you know, whatever. You don't have to verify your age to listen to this. Um, but I believe it was like maybe maybe oh, 04, 05, 06, somewhere in that wheelhouse. Um, they made an 8.8% alcohol Imperial Pilsner with yes. all Holler Tower hops. So it is definitely uh, something that I've always uh, been into. Uh, and, you know, Randy Mosher, who's a, who's an awesome writer uh, as far as, like, beer books. Wait, he writes like books? Randy Mosher writes books. Again, what are books? And, he, <laughs> and, he, and Randy Mosher has always been a big fan of um, making uh, making a beer that's very bitter with a lot of IBUs, but with, like, these kind of noble European hop varieties. Um, they're low in IBUs. So IBU is an international bittering unit. It's kind of what— Well, they would be low in alpha acids, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, low yeah. in alpha acids that right. will contribute IBU. Yeah, thanks. Right. For, yeah, absolutely. Something like that. Something. So I would like, you know, yeah, I would love to brew something like that. Were like you there? That. So we had some, just speaking of oxidized old beers, I think, was it Rich Carley, the May Rest in Peace? Yep. Um, he got that lot of, was it the Thomas Hardy's from 1985? Correct. Holy shit. Yeah, man. I still have, I, I still have like, I think in, I have an 89 left, I think. Really? And those were, and that's what I'm talking about, like yeah. those old British Barty wines. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That 1985 Thomas Hardy. And so Thomas Hardy, you can I'll let you do the history because I have no earthly idea what the actual history of that beer is. But it's a strong English style barley wine, so it's super malty. When it's fresh, it's got a lot of alcohol. It's got a lot of fruit character. It's got a lot of caramel. But when it ages, as Brandon was alluding to, it became something completely different. It might sound weird, but notes of leather, which – you know, no one wants to drink leather, but it was really endearing in this beer. Um, and then notes of oxidized wine, so notes of Madeira and other things. I don't know what else you got. Tobacco, I think, was a tasting note. Oh, man, I mean, um, tobacco, dates. Well, I like mean, good, like, like pipe tobacco. Uh, yeah. Good, yeah. good pipe Hobbit tobacco. Hobbit tobacco. Yeah. Good, good cigars. Pipe weed. Yeah. Hob- yeah, I mean, Hobbit tobacco. I mean, if, yeah. if, if, you, imagine, if you imagine some wizard-type character sitting in a big I, I o- can, yes. overstuffed. <laughs> Sitting in a big, like, overstuffed leather chair with one of those really thin, I believe they call them watchman pipes. It's Mm. a very long stem, very small bowl, smoking some sort of, like, crazy, elegant pipe tobacco. I mean, that's what the whole beer kind of evoked in your imagination. Let's be real. The wizards in these stories were were smoking something besides just the... Yes, it was the pipe weed. It made him soft. Yes. That's why he lost the Sauron. We know this. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, it's (laughs) feeding... It's it's feety feety. It's uh, something else in well, there. Well, next time on uh, the Silmarillion podcast <laughs> with Cam and Jace, uh, <laughs> uh, Shelob, her origins. <laughs> did she really deserve her fate? Q and A session. Go. Yeah. Uh, um, Jesus, I've got some. Old, I've got some older bottles of the Thomas Hardys, or at least the O'Hanlon's brewed stuff that uh, I can pop for us sometime on uh, on the program, and we can kind of talk about it. Um, Again, I, I'm. So, I'm always available. Right. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, the beer we're talking about was brewed. Uh, Thomas Hardy was a famous uh, British uh, novelist. His hometown, I believe, of Dorchester, uh, there's a brewery there that brewed a beer for a literary festival that uh, commemorated his life. 
1968, and it was this big, massive, rich, layered, boozy barley wine. Uh, and I believe the first batch of it was aged in sherry cask. I believe that was the only. Oh, really? Yeah, I believe it was the only the only time that ever happened. Well, that's pretty baller. And they brewed it and put a vintage date on it up until up until like maybe the late nineties hmm. or maybe before that. And that was the old um, uh, God. What was the name of the brewery that made that Thomas Hardy's ale? Eldridge Pope. Right, that but beer. a new brewery took it over after, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it went dormant for a few years because mm-hmm. the beer is unbelievably expensive to make. Uh, it takes, I mean, drinking a bottle of it before it's 10 years old is, uh, I mean, in the wine world, they call that infanticide. Uh, you, know, mm. if you drink something that's way below its maturity. So they quit making it. O'Hanlon's picked it up, and they carried the torch for that until maybe 2008. Mm-hmm. Then they stopped making it. I, I have bottles from both of those breweries. Um, apparently, there is an Italian brewery that has picked it up, and I bl- well, it's not an Italian brewery; it's an uh, an Italian company that is now contracting it through Meantime Brewery in England. Interesting. Well, they, Meantime makes some killer beers. They sure do. Yeah. Um, well, you guys are fucking nerds. Yeah. Just about. Well, maybe not just about. <laughs> well, and also The Hobbit and many other things, but it's fine. I'm just kidding. I am too. Follow up uh, question. Oh, I'm sorry. I, just because it relates. It relates. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, please. So, what's the oldest liquid that you guys have ever ingested? Oh, that's a good question. And what was it? Oh, that's a damn good question, Cam. Um, any any liquid doesn't matter. I mean, technically, I guess water. I guess all liquids kind of the same age because I was like born sure. in the heart of stars and all that kind of shit. But sure. I mean, like stuff that was you yeah, know yeah, yeah. construct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I, I had a I had a glass of. Uh, I can't. I wish I could remember exactly what, but I had a, a glass of Italian wine uh, that was sharing with some other people. It was from the 1920s. But that's wow, that's cool, man. I like it. Yeah. Wow. That's what it tastes like. Uh, it, like shit. Uh, it was. <laughs> it was. It, it oh, seen, it was real bad. <laughs> it had seen better days. Older does not mean better, folks. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah, here. yeah. There's. And, there's, and there's, it's hard with those old, 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 old wines to know what happened. Like it, it could be amazing, and that's that's. But that's like a diamond in the rough. Like you mm-hmm. can't. You mean what happened, like to the bottle? Well, like to the wine inside. Yeah. Like sometimes if it's kept in the right conditions and it was the right type of wine to age for that long, sometimes it's really cool to taste it. But a lot of the time, it's just gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's good. There's definitely, you know, there's a there's a bell arc to, you know, all those things. To flavor. Yeah. Um, oldest. So up until a few weeks ago, the oldest thing I believe I had ever tasted uh, was a bottle of Malmsey Madeira from mm. 1908. Wow. Uh, and it was in the bottle. So l- let me phrase this correctly here. So the vintage date of when the grapes were grown was 1908. So for Madeira, that wine was put into barrel and aged probably, I mean, legally north of 20 years, but probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like 70, 80 years. Um, and then that was put into a glass demijohn at the winery on the island of Madeira. Hold on. Sorry. I meant to ask this earlier. What the hell is a demijohn? Uh, a demijohn is, is just like a little John. No, a demijohn is just a big glass jug. Gotcha. Yep, okay, big glass sorry. jug. So they would put they they would they'll pull the Madeira out of cask, put it in a big glass jug, seal it up, and then the and then the producer uh, in this case Dolivera would uh, just kind of bottle it as they needed it. So the bottle, like the 1908 Madeira that I had, had been bottled two years previous to when I was with the bottle when wow. it was opened. Oh wow! Um, so they actually held on to it for that time. Yeah, yeah, they held That's on crazy. to it in, dem- in Demijohn for that length of time, and then they bottle it as they need to sell it. Was it good? It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. And um, it tastes like grapes and shit. Yeah, it was crazy. But yeah. like, 
real old like grapes. old grapes. Well, <laughs> like I mean, raisins. It I tastes mean, like raisins, so, man. So when you, so so and, and a few weeks ago, uh, I had something that was older than that. It had an Armagnac from uh, that was produced in the year 1900. Um, at Burns uh, Steakhouse down in Florida. That place, like just side note. Absolutely wild. Talk about old wines. Absolutely wild, man. Their cellar, I mean, we we could do a whole other podcast just on my memories from there, Cam's memories from there. I I don't have Um, any memories because it's so good. It was so crazy. And, you know, I mean, it's you, you get this book of like cognacs and armagnacs. And the only way, I mean, I'm not familiar enough with the producers to know what the hell I'm looking at. I don't know what years are good or not. I mean, I'm just picking a year because it's like, oh, that's uh, 1944 was one of the Armagnacs I picked. And it turned out to be, in my opinion, like the best one I had. But, like, dude, 1944, you know, like like the Americans had basically just run the Germans out of France mm. back into Germany in 1944 when this was made. And that's very cool to, like, think about something like that um, and enjoy it at the same time. Yeah, it's crazy. So... We drinking this shot of rum, bro? We already did. I just did. Oh, I guess we should. Oh, yeah. Do you guys like cheers? Do you like? I mean, we should do the whole uh, sound effect. Can I like open a beer and? We we do a little bit of that. I mean, I I don't know. It's like it. I think we kind of want to keep the ball rolling as far as like conversation. I don't know. Does it sound weird? We should promote drinking on the podcast. Well, we do. We 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 do. We certainly do. So, So, back to Justin's question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If now that it's my turn. Sorry, I apologize. (laughs) I know I got it so sidetracked. I'm just. I'm sorry. Uh, so, uh, if, if I got to pick anything to make, uh, I think I would make a peach brandy. Oh, okay. I know. Wait, that's a good fish house too. punch. Is that where this is going? No. Okay. Not necessarily, fine, fine. but, but you yeah. can't, that we definitely use it for that. So peach that brandy like used to be like yeah. one of the, uh, most produced things on the Eastern seaboard, uh, before prohibition. Um, you okay there, Plyler? No, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> okay. We, we all just had a, a pretty hefty shot of Smith and Cross rum. Well, just side note, Jace likes to ply people with large doses of uh, high proof liquor. Um, Listen, regularly. it's got me this far. I'm not. Changing all right. The okay. Anyway, so yeah, but yeah, I, I think there are some small craft distilleries that are uh, working on some peach brandies or have some out there, but it's in such small quantities and availability is very limited. Like I think, uh, I think Highwire here in town has started working on a peach brandy. Yeah, yeah, really? I believe that's true. Yeah, um, which is very exciting. Uh, I just the idea of I don't know just the idea of a peach brandy because uh, you know I grew up in Georgia most of my life mm-hmm. peaches 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 even they actually make more they grow more peaches in South Carolina than Georgia it's really kind of, yeah that's we're that's, the peach state though Georgia's the, a peach state are we technically are well like they have the name the peach state we're the Palmetto uh, state right oh uh, yeah I guess yeah. we are the Palmetto state but uh, technically South Carolina produces more peaches than Georgia which is Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. So no reason to not make a peach brandy, but I mean, Highwire is producing one, but I would like to, uh, you know, you know, try that out and, mm. you know, try aging in a few different ways. Try it, you know, obviously make like a peach eau de vie to try. So, you know, not aged kind of like cat or like still proof shit to, to fuck around with. I think that'd be really cool. An overproof spirit from the Jace McConnell distillery. You know me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's oh going to happen. Uh, no, it, it shouldn't. But, but yeah, uh, but but like but like new oak, like maybe new toasted oak, yeah. maybe maybe ex bourbon, ex sherry, ex wine, whatever, just kind of barrels. Sure. Ex cognac would be really cool. No, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. sounds great. Uh, I mean, it uh, just I mean, it is brandy, so it's you know just you know, you know distilled fruit juice, mm-hmm. uh, distilled fermented fruit juice. I think that would be really cool. If sounds we have great. anyone listening who's interested in a rather large and foolish financial investment, please contact <laughs> us at pocketlicker at gmail That's right.
so we have something uh, a little special to sip on before we move on in the podcast. We have that some was provided by about. Jace McConnell. Well, yes, it is mine, but uh, it was given to me by my best friend, Ty Gillespie. He was the best man at my wedding, and he bequeathed unto me as a wedding gift this 30-year-old Ron Abuelo. Speaking of old beverages, mm. so this, this was distilled when I was, what, four years old? Well, at least the oldest rum in this thing is 30 years old. Wait, what does that mean? Well, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure this whole thing is about, yeah, is about 30 years old. Is it like a Solera thing? Is it like... But Ron Abuelo is, uh, let's see. It's delicious rum this is, is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's from Panama. So I'm not sure what the rules are in Panama as far as gotcha. like the, the blending of rums. Like in, like Ron Zacapa, for example, like right. they say they had the Ron Zacapa 23 year. There's like a drop of twenty three year old shit. Is that? There. But that's just del- or that it's that delicious. Liquid sure. is delicious. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, um, there, yeah, I, 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 I love it. Uh, but it is like it to advertise it as twenty three years old is a little misleading. Gotcha. So it kind of depends. Like we talked about on I think maybe the last episode or episode or two before. Like yeah, depending we, on where we, yeah, your rum is Carl coming here from. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Depending on where your rum is coming from, the age statement on the bottle can be a little. You, know, you can you can you can yeah Ron 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 Abuelo Panama. I'm gonna roll the dice and say that might be um, a Spanish kind of tradition origin rum. Yeah. So it might not all be 30 years, but I know a lot of those producers like what they're what they're really shooting for is a product that is indicative of something that would be that old. Hmm. And it's it doesn't mean that it's not good because I've had I've had some 30 year old bourbons. And I've had some, you know, really old scotches and stuff that are just not good because they yeah. spend too much time. This, however, I feel. Have you tried it yet? Well, let's take it. Let's all take a sip. Yeah, it's unreal. It's very complex. Holy shit! It's incredibly good. Is there like a sherry barrel involved? There's like this like red. Right? Fruit. It's like got all this. You, you think so, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that's another question. Is I know in whiskey this is a big deal. How do you color your liquor, right? Yeah. Because in, even in the like, high-end scotch world, you can add some food coloring, right? That's the yeah, thing that yeah. happens. Ca- caramel coloring, so... But it's flavorless, right? Yeah, they say that. I mean, um, scotch whiskey, you can do it. I think in some Irish whiskeys, you might be able to do that. Um, in bourbon, to call it like straight bourbon whiskey, it's illegal as hell. Yeah. Right, you yeah, cannot. Yeah. It all has to come from barrel, from natural age. Which, uh, which is super interesting. I mean, this is this is. But sort in of rum, a, it's what like the Wild West out there. Like, what's uh, going on? yeah. Well, some some traditions, some rum producers uh, will totally allow you to do it. Um, I believe cognac. I think cognac and armagnac. They have some rules there where they will take a mixture of. It's something crazy. It's like wood paste and like caramel coloring what? and blend it together and add it in, and add it to it. Yeah, I, uh, huh. I I did a thing a few years ago where uh, we had I think it was a ten or fifteen year old. Um, VSOP cognac from a small like farmer producer next to like Remy Martin VSOP and uh, same like same same year same age statements and the color differences between them were astounding hmm. astounding and yeah there and, and the guy we were talking to um, uh, from PM spirits uh, he's like yeah he's like this is what you can legally add to these spirits to give it color and flavor uh, and woody characteristics and so things what we're like saying that. is your favorite spirit producers cheat you is that right how do you feel about that well, they, uh, might, they, might, they might pull a little uh, you know I mean I will, let me back up so from the <laughs> okay let me back up. Okay. so from the beer I know okay so from the beer world right 
I don't know if you guys have done the Ryan Hotzke boat before, right? No, that's it's on our list of things to do as like a terrifying okay. storm or something. Well, that's a good, well, that's a that is a terrifying. Great one. Am I saying that right, Ryan Hotzke boat? The Ryan Hotzke boat. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> the beer purity law, right? The cars outside for you, Cam. They're here. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. It was only a matter of time. Uh, well, so this law was what fifteen sixteen? Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right, so five. This law governing beer is five hundred years old, plus five hundred three yeah. years old, right? And it still gets referenced all the time in beer brewing. Correct. Like every day, people talk about the Reinhoska boat, and what that is, the Reinhoska boat is right. Is you can use four, four ingredients in beer. You can use water because that's the majority of beer. About ninety percent, ninety to I don't know ninety seven, depending on like how you like your strength of your beer, is water. Uh, barley, right? Because do they include they include wheat in the Reinhardtsko boat? How Because this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy. Because barley is the heart of beer. That's what makes beer beer. It's the fermentable source, mm-hmm. sugar source of beer, just like grapes are for wine. Blah blah blah. The the original document mentions just the word malt. Okay, um, which which means sprouted and then dried yes. grain. Yeah. So so the idea is that they are referencing uh, barley malt. Um, and one of the one of the pretenses for the Reinheitsgebot is that wheat made great bread, mm-hmm. uh, whereas barley makes bad bread. And oh, really they were trying to protect beer. wheat and emphasize yeah, barley. They, they, they didn't. They, yeah, they didn't want the brewing industry and the baking industry to be competing for the same uh, raw materials. Oh, that's smart. Them Germans, man. Um, okay, so efficient, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so well, let's just leave it at barley, malted grain, meaning sprouted, dried. Carbohydrates available for sacrification. We'll leave it there. Right. Hops, which are flowers. Right. Bitter flowers. And then yeast, which they didn't mention in the original document because they didn't really know what it was. It was kind of a miracle. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So the rule of four, like four ingredients, is like really they just laid down three, right? They really but only laid down three. So, but like the, is the fourth thing like where they where you're allowed to take like the mash or whatever like from – the, the, like take like wort or something like that, but from one batch to the next, because well, I didn't it? know what yeast was. Right. Well, I think it was it was only three, right? But was oh, okay. it, it was updated once they figured out what yeast was. I mean, the right hook still holds sway. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah. It, it is. It is definitely still a law in Germany. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. Prim- it, it was exclusively a Bavarian thing up until uh, German unification in the God eighteen sixties eighteen seventies. 1871, yeah, I believe it was 1871. Yeah, and uh, hashtag history nerds. And Bavaria, well, Bavaria would not. The state of Bavaria would not join the other states of Germany uh, in being a union unless they would adopt their beer purity laws. Wow. So right around then was when that kind of happened and came uh, full force. Um, good and bad. I mean, it, great for quality, but also bad because there's a lot of cool, weird um, German beer styles that use spices and fruits and. Things like that. Salt and coriander. Salt and coriander. Yeah, Yeah, they they just kind of... Kind of slip through the cracks and you're just like grandfathered in probably because those uh, are like eight yeah. styles of beer, right? Some some of them, yeah. I mean, some people kept making those. Uh, <laughs> How did we get here from rum? Well, let me back up. No, 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 no. Let me back up. I was going to go there. No, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm going to back up two steps. Season, well, because in the beer world, we have the Ryan Hotzke boat, right? Because yeah. in the beer world, in the back of our heads, even though you know we're adding strawberries and yeah, Asian sure. oak barrels and we have brown sugar and all kinds of fun flavors in beer, at the same time, there's this, in my at least in my mind, this is my perspective. Um, at least in my mind, we have this this idea that beer is this sort of pure substance, right? And even historically, sure. it was used as this better than drinking water beverage, right? So like a, a pure thing, so to speak. But now we're talking about 
putting caramel coloring in whiskey or something. So I think putting caramel coloring in beer, I mean, seems disingenuous, maybe. Killian's hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, uh, oh, but, there's uh, there's yeah. the other car. They're waiting. Oh, to, I don't know. Do you guys have sponsors? To, Should I not be talking about to stuff? The, uh, to no, the good folks in the Coors, if, yeah. um, if you're looking for a sponsorship, we will <laughs> gladly cut Cameron's comments out of the... I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, well, the, 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 argument that, the argument that's made is that it is, and, and you, you alluded to this already, Cam, is that it is an odorless, flavorless um, thing that they add to the whiskey essentially to ensure uh, continuity of color. Right. Because you don't want your Macallan 12 to look a little bit blonder than normal. When it's supposed to be this rich, sherry barrel-aged you got thing. It. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that's kind of the idea, but I think um, you know, with that and the stuff that I've heard from like cognac and places like that, I believe that like really what they're doing is big producers are putting in legislation, things like that, that allow them like they're making the rules to kind of allow them to make a product that is built for mass production, mass scale, mass distribution. Yeah, it's not necessarily like what you would um, imagine, like a like an artisanal producer where. Hey, you know, here's our here's our IPA, and yeah, the hop character might be a little bit different from last time. You know, maybe you know we're not on contract for as much of this. We substituted something else in. Well, agricultural products lead to variation unless you have incredible buying power. I mean, that's the short. A yeah. Absolutely, yeah. that is a wonderful, wonderfully succinct way to put that. Yeah. Well, so side, God, you guys are nerds, super <laughs> nerds. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway. Go on. Well, so bringing it back to rum, rum doesn't have a lot of there's no there's not a lot of universal rules because there's a lot of different countries and you know different areas of the world that are that's making rum. So there's not you know th there isn't like some rum alliance that is you know dictating like all of this if there stuff. Was. Yeah, I mean there's the Ministry of Rum which you can look up online, uh, but that's you know that's a whole other thing. There's no there's not there's just not a lot of uh, legislation or you know rules and regulations on it. It kind of depends on where you're making it. Well, just going with the color theme, there's this interesting study that was done by, oh man, I'm going to blank on the name. He's an English brewing scientist at UC Davis. Who is he, Brandon? You know who he is. Uh, Charlie Bamford? Yes, Charles Bamford. So yeah. so he he quotes this study quite a bit, and, and, and Charles Bamforth is one of my, if you anyone out there has not had the pleasure of listening to Charles Bamforth um, or reading any of these books and you're really interested in beer, do yourself a favor and look up Charlie Bamforth. He's retired. I think he just retired this year. Yeah, he retired uh, from UC Davis from teaching, but I believe he just picked up a gig with Sierra Nevada oh, as, right. their, as their like quality control guy. That's baller. You, I mean, they got they picked up Charlie Banforth, and this is like an OG in the industry, right? I read, dude. I read an interview with him once, and he was like, "Yeah, I went to the Scottish brewery to fix this problem with their lager production, and he like did such a good job with fixing the problem." That the customers who but they revolted, it. no, I yeah, remember yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. complained about it. They're yeah. like, "Oh, why?" And, and he's so good at what he does. He went back and fixed it and yeah. made the beer taste the way it did before he fixed. There it was in a the technical place. flaw in the beer that the locals <laughs> had gotten so used to that. Yeah, that's such a cool story. That, that, yeah. they, that they loved it. So yeah. certainly something to think about when talking about all flavors. That's tr the truth. That is the truth. Um, interesting. I mean, not saying per anyway. So the. Um, story that he also liked to tell is there's a study that was done where they would take the same light beer. So imagine you take a, a Bud Light, right? You have two Bud Lights in front of you. And you don't know this, but the administrator has dosed it with some coloring, some odorless, flavorless coloring, whatever it is. And they don't tell you. They just say, 
talk to me, write down your descriptions of the flavor of this beer, the way that it tastes, the way that uh, it, it, it presents itself on your palate in, t- in terms of texture, the way that it smells, all of these metrics, right, that they're asking for. And people, like, without a doubt, would put down that the darker colored beer tasted darker, it was heavier, it was toastier, it had all of these qualities when they were the exact same beer. They were literally the exact same beer. You drink right? with your eyes first, man. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, that goes back to the coloring thing, right? Absolutely. I mean, is it cheating? Is it? Is it cheating? Is it cheating? What if I put food coloring in a beer? What if I turned a beer green? Well, and, would that and, you, be, and, and well, you stained your hands green you, for like a few days for well, St. Patrick's Day? You, you did that. You should, you should wear gloves when you use food coloring. I'm just going to throw we that out there. We saw you. You did it. Yeah, that's, that's a lot true. of fun, man. People yeah. love that. That made a lot of people happy. It, yeah, you know what? If it's making people happy, I think is the at the end of the day, I think that's what really matters. Now, in a competitive marketplace, uh, you know, calling someone out for adding caramel coloring to something when it's done in every other field of edible or drinkable things, basically. I mean, fuck it. If it makes your beer look better and it doesn't like, and it's not like hurting people. I don't give a shit. Like, well, what I like. You talking is about tr- red hots, Jace? <laughs> <laughs> Those are naturally colored, Brandon. Red know. hots? Yeah. You ever seen cinnamon? Bright red. I'm talking about hot dogs, bro. Oh, you're talking about. <laughs> you're talking about the the candies. <laughs> the candies are not naturally colored either. Well, I mean, those, red hots. Okay, red hots are closer to the color of pigs than uh, other hot dogs. One could argue. Very well. Huh. Depending Never on the been pig. Never presented with. That, and and yeah. its blood pressure. <laughs> red hots with uh, beef art chili. Huh. Okay, what I like, <laughs> <laughs> what I like in uh, anything that I put inside my body, right? And so here, no, I know, I know, I know. What you're, like, you told me this was like a, like a rated R podcast, not like an folks. If you have little ones in the car, go ahead and turn the volume down right now. <laughs> so I'm gonna get a little philosophical for a second, right? So we're you? all, we're no all. Way. I know, I know, I know. Go ahead. So go ahead. We're, thank you. We're all in the food and beverage industry, right? And, you know, we say that easily because it's just our day-to-day lives. But one of the things that we do in the food and beverage industry is prepare, touch, make, administer to, curate, whatever, pick your verb, stuff that people put inside of themselves, right? Which can sound sexual, right? But in reality, it's when something you, that when you're, you bring it up, yeah, not use, safe use. for little ears. Yeah. <laughs> no, you. Brought no, no, no. I, I'm, no, yeah. keep going. Um, but the point is, the point I'm getting at is that there is a certain responsibility I think that you have as a as a beverage maker, as a food maker, as someone who makes or touches or curates or whatever something that people are ingesting to make sure that it's the safest, purest. And I say pure in the sense of stuff that's not. This is where it gets. This is where. This is where the cognitive dissonance comes in because technically alcohol, I'm sorry to bring this up, is a mild poison. Yeah. Right? For anyway, sure. But the mild poison that you put in your body is the safest mild poison that you can possibly you can possibly. One hopes. Make. One hopes, right. Yeah. So with that comes a sense or a, a desire for, in my from my perspective, of transparency. Right? Which means if someone's putting caramel flavored what or caramel color, whatever into a beverage that I'm drinking, I want to know. I don't want to know what they're putting in, right? I want to make the decision. I don't want them to make the decision and not tell me. I think there's a sense of sure disingenuity. I think there's a sense. I don't call. I mean, I love, dude. I'll drink if you put McAllen. If you put a bottle of McAllen 12 in front of me right now, I would have a. Tr- I would have 
problems not drinking all of the entire bottle. I oh, love, well, I love Cam, uh, bring it out, ladies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, here, <laughs> and here at the end of Pocket Liquor, we're going to well, make Cam drink an entire 750 of McKellen 12. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> we, do have, we do have some scotch in front of us, though. Uh, there is, actually. There's some old scotch in front of us. Yeah. Well, uh, keep, keep going. We'll get Well, the, we'll but get that's that my point, second. though, is like I, I like the transparency. And so whether it's yeah. food, and that's why home cooking is so nice, because if you're making it from uh, homemade ingredients, you know exactly what you're offering your guests. You know exactly what you're offering yourself. I mean, again, this is a, this is a philosophical point. Yeah. Right? yeah I, I agree. Think, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh, hell no, yeah. If, if you're adding caramel coloring to anything, I think you should it should Disclose be it. somewhere on the label or on your website or something like that. Like, just like, you have to do that. They have to advertise, like, for a candy bar or something like that. They have to say, yeah, there's artificial coloring in here. Obviously, it's... There's no color blue. of brown like that in nature. <laughs> uh, well, let me, let me tell you what. I'm going to break some hearts here, but blue raspberries are not a thing. <laughs> they are not a thing. <laughs> Nothing looks that bright blue have you heard in about nature. The, have you heard about the mystery flavors of um, what are those little lollipops that have like the – you know what I'm talking about? Like the little itty bitty lollipops? Dum-dums. You Dum-dums, yeah. 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 So I was reading or listening to something where the mystery flavor is actually them at the end of a run, like blending flavors, so they never know what it is. It's like – Raspberry and whatever the hell else is coming behind it. I mean, it all goes together, I imagine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, so transparency. No, I'm. I I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. No, I'm not. If if a beer tastes good and it's something I love, and they added caramel coloring to it, I'll still drink it. It's like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, dude, if I eat Snickers bars. Like there's a lot of stuff that's right, not sure. I, you know. Sure. But but but, but, there, but there's a greater point here to where you know there's a lot of brewers who are throwing things. You know, I I feel like there's a lot of brewers who look down upon, um. Who look down upon like you know Bud Light Lime and Bud Light you know Shock Top Pretzel things like that. They look down upon a lot of those beers, and I'm not saying those are great beers that I drink, but they're also some same brewers who will throw candy bars and marshmallows oh, yeah. and things like that into their beers or food flavorings or food flavorings and it's Peanut like butter and jelly. It's like hey, you know, just well, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it, I, th- I think it depends on your attitude with it. You know, it's like it's not. As long as you're upfront and, and, and transparency, I think is the word. As long as you're upfront with people and you're you're like, hey, this is what goes into it. Just so you know, this is how we achieve this flavor, and they're into it and they're okay with it. Then I think that's fine. Yeah, no, I totally agree. If they told me that there's yellow eight through seven in there, and that's not really a range of numbers, but you know, and caramel coloring, and yellow food. cake, plutonium. Is it plutonium or uranium, Jace? Uranium. Wait, is that what we have? We're not I'm supposed not, to say that on the podcast, not, are we? No. I don't know how, but they found me. I don't. We can't. We can't talk about that here. That Why is the microwave us? glowing right now? It's so strange. <laughs> just, just shh, let's move on. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so no, again, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. The transparency, th- transparency thing, I think is, is super huge, and I do think there's a little bit of hypocrisy in. Um, I don't want to say the beer world, but I mean. In the beer world, where yeah, people get really upset about you know they're making. There's some no hypocrisy of, in the beer world. However, I'm going to point out the hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah, well, that's <laughs> right. the beer world. No, you're right. Well, what I, about the the Natty Light? This is what I want to bring up. The, have you seen this new one, the Natty Light Pink Lemonade? No. Um, so this is an interesting. So Nat, okay, Natural Light, right? The crappiest of all craft beers. We're we're familiar, right? Is I've, it not, I've seen it before. Is it not Bush? Uh, actually. Follow-up question. <laughs> What's the worst? I mean. What is your least favorite macro beer? Not what is your favorite, because everyone asks, what's the favorite macro beer, right? Honestly, Bud Light. I would rather drink a Natty Light than a Bud Light. Fair. All right. I, know, I, 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 
honestly, I couldn't tell you why, except I've had some like lukewarm Bud Light cans in my time, and I just oh, hmm. can't handle it. Truth. Yeah. Well, they have pink lemonade flavored. Yeah. Coors Light, I can't do. Really. Really, I like uh, Coors Light. It's it's too light. It's too watery. I mean, it's too much like soda. It, water. It, well, it has to be ice. Like those Rockies had better be cold. They, they, they better, better be blue. They, they better cold be blue. As hell. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's just because like my uncles, my dad would always drink that in Idaho when you know I was a kid, and it's just something you kind of like. Oh, these guys are cool, to I, me, so I want I, that. I, th- I think I just but like I, Coors Banquet so much that like when I'm drinking yeah. a Coors Light, like it's I'm thinking it's, of that beer. It's de- like Coors Light is. I mean, you are. It is so watery, but like. You know, they have that, like, vented can thing, bullshit, whatever. You can just chug them so fast, and they're so refreshing on, like, you know, if you're out doing lawn work or if you're out on the Henry's Fork of the Snake River uh, fly fishing, where huh. which is where my mom is from. and where I Not purchasing from. yellow cake. No. No. We don't do that in Idaho. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, it wouldn't happen out there. Heller, I'll the take you out and beat you with a hose. I'm very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said too many key words. All right. A couple of hundred heirs living in Charleston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, that's totally us. Uh, well, well, that's, that's for all. me, it's the beast. I mean, what's the beast? Yeah. Be, like, 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 uh, milk, yeah. There's, so I don't mind macro lagers, but there's macro lagers out there that taste actively bad. Like yeah. there, it's not. It's not it's like oh, it's not my favorite. There's ones that have flavors like turpentine. Like they're like unpleasant flavors. Like beers, like Milwaukee's best. Oh, Mil- oh, the beast. That's the what, beast. That's, that's yeah. what it is. Beast, I beast light. Those yeah. are bad beers. Never. Uh, I, I honestly, I've probably had one in my time, but uh, I'll bring you one next time. No, I'm good. I, okay. I can I can find them on my own, and I <laughs> understand. Yeah. Thoroughly. Um, well, that's all very interesting stuff. So. Guys, we have one more listener question we want to get to, oh, yeah. and since Cam's here, I think we'll just have these, and uh, this will be like the show. This is just, a really just, good one. Not, not, well, okay, so I, w- I want to say not to inter- interrupt Jace, but to specifically I'm interrupt cutting all of this Jace. Out. Yep. Um, I had this whole like thing on Bordeaux wine kind of planned, and we're drinking this like pretty cool like value price Saint Emilion from 2015, which is a rock star vintage um, in Bordeaux, and. We had a whole thing, but well, uh, not to interrupt, but <laughs> just, <laughs> the whole, just so you guys know, uh, we are going to get to some wine stuff here pretty soon. Uh, the conversation here has been wonderful. It just kind of got away from us and we kind of all made the mutual decision to move on to another reader question because we're having such a good time answering these and bantering kind of back and forth. Um, and if you guys have questions, please hit us up at pocketlicker at gmail.com. Spell the way you think it would be pocket liquor at gmail.com l-i-c-k-h-e-r that's um no no well, you said what, what can't right. sorry, take sorry yo ass <laughs> nowhere um south so, carolina public schools hashtag uh, <laughs> so you can also send us a message on facebook or instagram and you can follow us on both of those platforms at pocket liquor obviously so we have a friend uh, we have a friend of ours nick who actually works at the brewing company um and is just a super cool awesome dude he sent us a question that i'm really excited to get into i think you both will have some fun things to talk about what is the most memorable beverage for us for you in general hmm wait that's not what he said he said for both he said for both of you but cam's here so all of us thanks yeah. So, so wait, m- memorable. Me- be- say, just say like memorable, like beverage or drinking experience. Like, what's the most memorable? Yeah. What, what like pops in your head first when you're just like, that changed the way I thought about drinking, or yeah. or name like subcategory, way I thought about beer or cocktails or wine or something like that. Well, there's a couple of them, man. 
Yeah, I know. I mean, there's a it's hard, it, you know. I remember. Yeah. The first quote unquote craft beer I had uh, was at a barbecue place in Savannah. Milwaukee's best. No, it was uh, it was a stone arrogant bastard. And uh, a friend of mine got one just because, and honestly, I was in a metal band at the time, and we had just finished rehearsing. You are in a metal band? I was in, yeah, I was in a death metal band, man. Wow, but yeah. you like ska so much now, it's hard to understand. <laughs> oh, Cam. Right. Anyway, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm not a ska fan. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but. Uh. But there really is. <laughs> if uh, you're Jason McConnell. <laughs> well, if I, if I was a ska fan, that would be weird. Um, anyway, so we're after, after rehearsal, and we see this beer that has like a demon on it and has all these like aggressive, like you're not worthy. Like this beer is better than you. Okay. Gargoyle. I get it. <laughs> you are just impossible. I'm sorry. Sometimes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I told you it was going to be like this at the end. Get the bucket of ice water, yeah. mama. <laughs> just, just don't. Will you give him some scotch so he pipes down? Like, I know. I know. <laughs> anyway. So my friend got one of these and I tasted it and it was one of those like, like ratatouille moments, you know, where the world kind of zooms back to your, not my childhood because I didn't drink crap beer as a small child in the 90s, but uh, it was just one of those like immense, like, you know, cascades of flavor that I'd never experienced before because I was used to drinking like, you know, shitty like Milwaukee lighter or, or natural lighter or whatever. So having this beer that was like full of malt character, but also had a hoppy backbone to it, just like complete. I, it was one of those moments where was like, I need to learn more about what's going on here. And, uh, that I, I, that stuck with me forever, and I couldn't tell you the last time I had an arrogant bastard. It's still a great beer, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. It's like it, that was one of those moments that I was just like, "Whoa, this is what this could taste like." It, it was it was very it was stirring for me, dude. Mm-hmm. Firm like firm bitterness, um, firm like kind of malt backbone. I mean, unfortunately, that stuff is not super popular these days. What about you, Plyler? What's a memorable uh, booze thing that happened to you? So. Interesting phrasing. Yep. So, uh, all right. So I have not spent a ton of time up north, but the second time I went to um, the city of Chicago, um, it was in August. The first time I went to the city of Chicago uh, was in uh, March, uh, and we got a little bit of snow, and it was nice. No, it wasn't March. It was April. We went to see opening day um, of the Cubs play at Wrigley Field. It was very cool. It was snowing. Had a blast. and I kind of had that picture that that's what kind of like, quote, up north, unquote, was like. Um, I went back a few years later in August to go see another Cubs game at Wrigley Field. Um, and it was a million degrees for sure. Um, it was hotter there than it was in the south where I was staying. It gets in hot August. up there, man. Way hot. It so, really does. So we ended up um, ended up in, an, in a non-air-conditioned cab heading out to the map room, which if you guys know – uh, is kind of a famous beer bar, uh, kind of a well-known beer spot, divey kind of place mm-hmm. in Chicago, and walked in, and they had Gumball Head from Three Floyds. Oh, that's a good beer. On draft. Now, I'd never had it before. I'd heard about it. I was a big fan of Three Floyds. I'd never run into it, and I knocked about three of those out uh, in very quick succession. Um, it's a how, – how strong is Gumball Heads? Like four and change percent ABV? Oh, that was like – it's a little more than that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, hoppy American, like citrusy, hoppy American wheat ale. I think they use a lot of Amarillo. Um, it's an unbelievably good beer. And it was it was one of those situations where the timing of the beverage, what it was, how I drank it, all of that worked all at once. And it was this very um, kind of indelible image that's just been imprinted in my brain 
that that was just a perfect time and a perfect place. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are looking for when they're looking at beverages and it's timing. It's 5.6, by the way. And things like well, I knew five, 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 six. Yeah. Yeah, damn, that's strong. Um, <laughs> for as, not. For as, well, <laughs> as fast as I was drinking those beers, it was. Um, but that's kind of the thing I think that I and think a lot of people are searching for. You know, it's in for my years in the retail and, uh, you know, just like kind of restaurant business, people come in asking, you know, hey, you know, I was in I was in Costa Rica and we had Cerveza Imperial. And that was the best beer I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, well, of course it was. You know, you were on vacation. They call that the provincial effect. Uh, the provincial effect. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, uh, a st- it's a studied effect. You know, where you're in a specific place oh, yeah. at a specific time, and then that beverage t- actually tastes better to you then. And then so well, what happened is, you know, people say a British tour, a British tourist would go to Greece or somewhere, right? And they would have this wine, and they would say, oh, my God, this is the best wine I've ever had. And they're out on the beach, and they're having olives and whatever. And they bring a case back. Right. right? And then they, yeah, and they go home, their friends, they come over. And then it's shit. Oh, it's garbage. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, because you're, you're in Iowa <laughs> again. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the cornfields, the. Come on over. I'm gonna it's throw cold. Some, I'm going to throw yeah. some yeah. bubble burgers on the grill, and uh, you got to try this wine. <laughs> it's like, oh. yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was 80 degrees. You were on the beach as naked as you legally could be. <laughs> Which you're, is all the way in Greece. Yeah, you're, oh. you're, you're eating, you know, some fish that somebody somebody brought in, like, right they off the boat. They just rested from the <laughs> Yeah, sea. they just <laughs> pulled it out of the ocean. They're like, oh, yeah, we just tossed it in yeah. olive oil we, and cooked it a little fire, bit. That's, that's, all, that's yeah. all we do to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's fucking great, yeah. yeah. Oh. We do this every day. <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> Iowa. How's your commute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You enjoy that smell of... Exhaust yeah. most of your life. Anyway, do y'all have steakums here? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for a Ryan Steakhouse, can't find one. <laughs> Greece sucks. I come to Greece for Applebee's, and uh, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> uh, the Applebee's oh. in Athens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Cam, what about you? What's a what's a memorable booze? Well, like first off, I'll beverage like ta- or, or memory in general. I would like to take this moment to say a few things. Oh God! Yep. <laughs> An open forum for Cameron Reedus. <laughs> no bueno. Uh, yeah. After being plied with liquor. Okay. Well, so first off, I just because I don't think that the listeners at home understand what's happening right now around the recording room table, is that at least I. I think we're I'm triple fisting right now. So I've got an IPA in one glass. I've got a 30-year-old rum in another and I've got this cool uh, 2015 Bordeaux that Brandon brought in another glass. And that's just what I'm sipping on right now. That doesn't include mm-hmm. the random shots that Jace likes to, you know, bring just to the table. In, yeah. yeah, to peppermint exactly. So that's what pocket liquor is about, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly right, Ken. Yeah, yeah. Um Okay, so with that said, <laughs> listen, dude. The, the years, listen. The years it takes off your life, or those are the ones at the end. You don't want those. No. Wow. Yeah, all of them are at the end. Wow. Yeah. I got more roast. Second thing I would like to say. <laughs> Did it get morte? Is mort? Uh, it's mort. Listen, dude. It's peed. I think. I think the votes are in. Okay. E E A D. Yeah. Yeah. It's peed. Yeah. Um, is thank you guys for having me on the show. Oh, this dude. has been, Oh dude, this is not the last I time. I mean, I'm a little bitter that it took to show nine to get on here. <laughs> You're only our second you know? guess. Really? After Car- Carl was your, Carl. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <He> was- <laughs> I didn't know that. He was in town. Uh, I'm leaving. To. This oh, has been real I'm guys. In town. I want to be on the podcast. Yeah. 
Uh, Carl, if you're listening, we love you, buddy. We I do. Don't, I we don't. really do. For sure. So Carl worked at Edmonds with me a while back, and that's why I can have such pure, <laughs> unadulterated <laughs> hatred. For- no, I love you, Carl. No. Um, okay, so drinking experiences that have been memorable. I'm going to try to go through these quickly. There's way too many. Like, I can't. There's not just one. There's not yeah, one. I, 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 I think one drinking yeah, experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. Know, I, I hear that. Yeah. Let's just throw one just, out. And just we'll, one. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll go back around. Back. Yeah. yeah. So. The first time I had Sam Smith Oatmeal Stout turn me on the beer. The first time I had a 30-year-old uh, scotch at the... Um, whiskey Library. The Multnomah Whiskey Library no, no, in no, no, Portland, no. Oregon? No, in Florida. We that just, dude you used to date in Florida? It burns. The old guy? Yeah, the third... Yeah, it burns. The, Again, burns. You know about that guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 30-year-old uh, whiskey I had at Burns, the Port Allen. Oh, the, they don't make that anymore, right? No. It's no. a silent distillery. Correct. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, so drinking some extinct whiskey is pretty cool, right? That's that was, pretty cool, man. That was a one of those moments the first time i had like an over-the-top like turly red wine love those man yeah, they're really like, good oh man those are such fun wines to drink man yeah that's killer yeah so, so another one of mine uh i don't know if he listens to this or not but uh, i've got a buddy uh brett uh we worked together at snack bar for a while and he was one of the guys like he was in law school uh as i was kind of coming on as like the head bartender i was in charge of the cocktails and he came and would hang out at the bar and order these cocktails and just introduce himself. He's like, hey, I'm really into cocktails and what you guys are doing. You're doing a great job. Is there any way I could come in and, like, work with you guys a little bit? Like, I'm kind of full-time at school. Like, you know, it's law school. It's a, it's a whole thing. So I was like, yeah. So he kind of, like, came in and bar back, bartended for us. And really, just as a cocktail enthusiast, like, like pointed out some things that we could do better and, like, really improve the program in general. And he had the... Honestly, Snack Bar was a great bar when I was there, but at the time, the bar at his house was really the best bar. <laughs> because I thought you were going to say it got better when I left. <laughs> no, well, that's that's probably true as well. Uh, but the bar at, at Brett's uh, apartment, he would run up to Memphis and bring back all these crazy ingredients that we couldn't get, one of which uh, is actually Smith & Cross, which we're sipping on tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I remember the first, and he had all the stuff you need. He had, a, he had juice ready to go all the time, which is like, that's some, I, I make drinks for like a living so i don't have like cocktail stuff ready to go at my house most of the time i'm just kind of like especially not fresh squeezed juice like that's a whole production i don't it's it's i'll do it for you know if i know we're having like a lot of people over i'll make some juice for like margaritas or something but i'm not i'm not trying to do that i do that at work uh anyway he always had everything ready to go he had like he had a soda siphon and uh, like he had all the cool he was a home enthusiast exactly yeah those are the best for sure and he made some amazing drinks it was always so much fun going over there. He made me a last word before I'd ever heard of it. Hmm. And uh, he's like, if you are you want a last word? I was like, what is that? And he's like, well, it's gin, chartreuse, luxardo, and lime. And shook one up for me. And that was one of those, again, one of those like zoom out moments. Like, holy shit, that is so delicious. How have I never had this before? So, Maybe without that cocktail, we wouldn't have the Jace McConnell that we have today. That's true. Without Brett, you wouldn't. Yeah. He'd probably be like healthy or something, or you know, like finish school, <laughs> living your best life. <laughs> no, anyway, old times. Cool too. Do you have a? Uh, do you have another memorable booze moment that like just rocked your world? Yeah, man, I have. Um, I have a ton of different ones. Um, I think the one uh, I'm battling back and forth. There's one. One's like the first time I had Lagavulin 16, and the other was Ooh. when I had mm. uh, the first time I had like a 30 year old or 20, 30 year old bottle of champagne. Which story do you want to hear? Both. 
But let's do the log of the lone one. All right. Which so one has you? I think less this this might have on. to be like a recurring like. I segment think I on think the, we yeah, just, we, yeah I think we can bring it back. Good so because, job. Because as we're talking about this, like thank I've you, got, Nick. This is great. I've yeah. got different memories that are kind of flooding back, and some of my best memories are attached to it. So. Okay, and so fir- some we don't have anymore. So the first time, <laughs> oh, yeah. the first time I had Lagavulin sixteen, um, I was in a bar in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, which is up in the mountains, uh, at Bistro Roca. Uh, neat spot. Uh, I worked there as a like moonlight, uh, moonlight, moonlit bartender once a week. And I'm saying you got lit. I, listen, man, um, I lived on main street there and I could walk to the place and I worked there. Mm. So it was a, a neat situation. Knew everyone there, of course. And I would go in there and, uh, you know, eat dinner. It was it, it maybe, I won't say the fanciest restaurant in town, but I, to, in my opinion, the best restaurant in town. And after dinner, you know, I ordered a Lagavulin in 16, kind of having an idea of what I was getting into, but I'd never had it before. I just knew that like Lagavulin in 16 was supposed to be this like, behemoth like he-man put hair on your chest kind of scotch thing um ordered it and you know ordered it like just a did it work oh god it did work yeah uh, hair on your chest ordered it um well just a, a, <laughs> a couple of sprouts cam yeah all right um yeah well, well i'll show you later uh, oh so <laughs> show uh, me now <laughs> so i ordered this whiskey with just a little bit of ice you know because i knew that was kind of kind of how uh, how you were supposed to order it and um I'm, yeah, i had to be like maybe 24 25 years old something like that and um, it was bracing what I had in my glass. For sure. Bra- yeah. Like, like just like push me back into my seat. Like, uh, do you guys remember the old, I think it may have been an like an MTV ad thing mm-hmm. where the dude is like sitting in like a high, like, like a high shoulder chair, high arm chair. There's a television in front of him. And it's it, like claymation, like, right? Right. And, yeah, and, yeah. and like his hair's blown. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah. That is totally what was happening to me uh-huh. as I'm sipping Lagavulin 16. Um, And if you guys don't know, Lagavulin uh, is a whiskey distillery um, uh, on Isla, which is a tiny island uh, kind of off the um, western coast of Scotland. And they get – so so the distilleries are all built kind of on or near the ocean uh, really to just make shipping more of a feasible thing. Yeah, for sure. They don't have to put it on a cart and carry it overland. They can make the whiskey right there on the water. Uh, ships come up to ship it. They roll it on board and it leaves. So what you get from the barrels being aged there, um, you get salinity. Uh, you get a lot of um, you know, kind of the sea air that comes into it, uh, and also the peat that grows on Isla uh, that, that is used to like smoke the malt that makes the whiskey is very. What peaty. is peat? Peat. Peat is uh, an amalgamation of. It's decaying like grass. Yeah, d- 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 interesting. De- decaying, decaying, decaying grass plant in like mud. Yeah. So d- in, in different mud, not it doesn't include mud. Sure. But it's yeah, like it, it, in different areas of Scotland have different you know micro uh, is it fauna or flora flora mm. different flora that kind of go into it. So it could be heavy on heather. It could be heavy on grass. Could be heavy on different things. Kind of depending on what part of the uh, what part of the country you're from. Gotcha. Yeah, peat bogs are a whole thing. Like you can take peat and like scrape it out of the ground and dry it out and make bricks out of it. You can make houses out of it. Hmm. Like that. I mean, not they don't do that today. I don't think. But uh, no. But you know, back in you know medieval times, people definitely lived in like peat houses. Yeah, and there's it's not. A God bless them. Well, yeah. <laughs> God bless. Them. There's not. Yeah, there's not like like many trees out uh, on Scotland or Ireland as islands, so that they. Um, they use this as a fuel source, so you can go to pubs. So you're uh, saying they they light this decaying dried plant matter on fire, 
They light it on fire. And then that's what the malt, the grain, the barley. They dry, yeah, they dry it out with. Yep. Yeah, and that's what makes it taste smoky. Yep. Huh. So they pick up uh, all this like phenolic smokiness. And of course, depending on where you are in, uh, in Scotland, that varies. And, and of course, the, the distillery makes their decisions on how much uh, smoke malt or whatever to kind of use. So it's a whole thing. So Lagavulin 16. Um, Lagavulin is a wild ride. Well, so, I'll tell you what. so good. So another memory for me was, it was actually because of you, Brandon. I, I think we were in the beer exchange one day, and you were trying to tell me about a beer or something, and, you know, being a jerk about it and all that. And uh, It's my calling card. It's your calling card, yeah. And so you had said uh, you had used Ardbeg as cologne, I think was your exact phrasing. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Dude, I listen, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I, the, I, I'm, I'm sure the local law enforcement loved that. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I, well, well, that, well, that made me curious because I was like, what the hell does he mean? Right. And so my background with scotch is my mom drinks uh, Dewar's White Label. And that's the whiskey. That's the liquor that I snuck in high school. And that shit is gross. I can. I can't. That explains your hate of Dewar's. Correct. That explains it. Yeah, that's it. it. Yeah, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Okay, yeah, cool. That's why I hate Dewar's White Label. That's good. That's my okay. mom's. Scotch, and it's disgusting. I mean, let's be real. Oh, it's 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 not great, but I mean, you know, if you're at a wedding or something like that, and that's it's okay. not that I won't, disgusting. I, dude, I will have water before I have doers. I won't. <laughs> I will never go back. That's the, the um, mark of a quitter, folks. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that I hated scotch. Right, that was my. Like, I loved bourbon. I thought I hated scotch. But then you had made that comment about Ardbeg, and I was like, well, if he's talking about something, so I bought a bottle of Ardbeg tin, and I took it home. That was an experience. I mean, for those of you who haven't had it, go get a bottle. It's only 50 bucks. You're going to die anyway. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but buy a bottle of water. It's one of the most aggressively smoky scotches that you can buy. But what's interesting about it is the more you drink it, you sort of see through the smoke. And that's where some of the interesting flavors come from, right? For sure. So like, exactly right. Because of the, it, first, at the outset of your it's journey. It's really like it's quite delicate. Yeah, it, you, it, it, once you get past that, like, holy shit, this is like there's a fire in my mouth. But it, it, it's almost as like you like your senses, like you get used to that flavor and that aroma. Um, and it's almost like your own, like maybe deodorant or mm-hmm. cologne or perfume or whatever. You get so used to that aroma that it just kind of fades into the background. But you have to drink Whereas, a few glasses. Yeah, you do. Well, yeah. Comparing that to like a, few, log, yeah. a couple. Yeah. Comparing yeah. that to Lagavulin. That's like a woolen is like it's 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 a it's a steak in a glass, you know, like it, it's got that smokiness up front, but like it has a it's lot a of other good things. Sting. It, oh, it's it's great, but like it's got like you know, all these like multi fucking you know complexities that follow up that smokiness. It's not as delicate as Ardbeg, for example. Like, it's, well, yeah, well, it's you say that, but it's sure. ironic. I mean, it's interesting you say delicate because again, if you take your first sip of Ardbeg, it's punching you right in the tongue. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah. it's aggressive. Yeah. Right, but the delicateness comes. I don't know. Three glasses in. How many glasses? In? How yeah. many licks to the center of the tootsie pop? I, I, I think so. I think around yeah. three. Um, I, I think around three. I mean, Ardbeg is like, for me. I, I mean, I love it like in cold weather when I can kind of go oh, outside yeah. and imagine sip if it. you're smoking, say, a pipe. Oh yeah, or a some pi- sort of a pipe or a nice yeah. cigar or something like that, and you can just spend some time with it. And there's like. There's layers of like cedar and flowers and acacia and honey and all these things that unfold as you're like sipping this whiskey and it's just like it, it's blowing your mind and as you're drinking it as you're drinking it you get to this point to where it's like all right cool 
like for the reviews I've read about this and for the wine, like not wine, but like wine and whiskey experts who rate this and talk about this, I totally see where they're coming from. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, what's interesting, you know, another one of the things I got from it, which was sort of an inspiration for a beer later on, was I got this like citrusy apricot note, which is not what you're going to think of when you're thinking of like super smoky scotch. Right. You know, and if I, I'm going to quote you, and I'm sorry. Go for it, man. I recall a time when you said that Ardbeg 10 was pure six in a glass. Ooh, dude, it is. <laughs> it is. It is, man. Oh, I'm yeah. glad you remember that. I, I, I mean, I, I can't I say a lot of shit. I just, well, uh. I say a lot of shit, and I can't remember what was going on last week. Um, but, 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 but that really is it. And if I have a, if I have a bottle of anything like that open at home and I, and I, and I'm sipping on it and drinking it, you know, I'll just like kind of sit back, relax and, you know, just let it take over. And, mm-hmm. and, and that doesn't, well, that doesn't mean, you know, waking up outside, you know, with no, uh, with a, with a couch cushion between your legs. Sure. With pee pants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that. But... Yeah. All right. Well, folks, hey, uh, we got to we got to wrap this up. Uh, we wanted to uh, say thank you, first of all, to Cam for being here tonight. And thank you so much, Cam. Thanks for having me. This has been super, super fun. Um, also, we uh, we've got to wrap up by saying that uh, this episode was brought to you by Cathead Distilling out of Jackson, Mississippi. We are great friends with those folks. They do nothing but cool things for, you know, for the masses, they uh, they make incredible vodka. Their gin called Bristo is uh, is, is unbeatable. Uh, you should also, by the way, I don't know if we've mentioned it. Their Hoodoo Chicory Liqueur. If you're looking to have a better White Russian or something that you would use, I don't know, a coffee flavored liqueur that starts with the K in it, uh, check out the Hoodoo Chicory Liqueur. So chicory is this like root that people used in. Uh, it's famous in New Orleans. They would. They would kind of cut this into their coffee when they couldn't get enough coffee in through various embargoes of, you know, the Civil War and whatnot. And it's this bitter root that kind of has this really fun uh, coffee-like distinct flavor. And they, uh, the people would put that into their coffee and kind of stretch it a little bit. It's really, really tasty. Uh, the proof on it is 66.6, which, huh. yeah, which appeals Interesting. to me. Yeah. Um, so... Give Cathead your support. They've given uh, their support to us. And if you like the podcast, you should like them. Please uh, check them out next time you're shopping for vodka, gin, uh, coffee, liqueur, and a host of other things that they're doing. Uh, We're big fans of them. Uh, And if you're in Jackson, Mississippi, go say hey to them for us. Uh, But this has been Pocket Liquor. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Bye.